0: I would say like if you want to grow your business get out there if you're in real estate especially start getting really cool speakers you don't have to be the freaking expert just bring in your friends or bring in people that are experts because everybody that's an expert loves to talk about themselves so just let them come in and talk and you know build your network over time you'll have 2,000 members in your meetup group and you know are you a wholesaler are you a flipper are you a real estate agent how can you leverage those relationships you're gonna get enough deals out of that Then start a podcast and put out content, you know, and then...
1: Welcome to the Freedom Chasers Podcast, where we bring you interviews and discussions that share the stories, successes, goals, and dreams of real estate agents and real estate investors pursuing a life of purpose and freedom. All right, guys, we have the pleasure of having Bo Eckstein on, and Bo has been in real estate for over 20 years. He deals in mortgages, primarily in the commercial investing mortgage space, where people can get their money to buy investments, flips, bridge loans, et cetera. So super excited to get into that. You have an investor financing podcast, which I had the pleasure of being on in the recent past. You run Thrive, a real estate investor association, and you're the president of Emerge Lending Group, a commercial lending firm. Not to mention that in 2013, you were on a TV show called Flip It to Win It. So you've been in the game for a while. You've done some really cool stuff. But as always, take us into what is the craziest real estate transaction you've had so far in your career?
0: Uh, I would take it back to when I was um, selling houses too, because I'm also a California real estate broker. Um, I was showing a house in Hayward, California, and uh, we walked through the house, and when I was leaving the house, I looked back, and there was a huge man staring in the window with a knife. <laughs> I never went back to find out, but th- that was freaky. I had a couple instances we walked into houses and there was people sleeping in the beds as a re- when i was a real estate agent you know people like it said it was you can go anytime on the mls and we'd go in and find people sleeping and that's kind of weird you don't know what to do and you oftentimes i would just leave and just lock the door cuz it's just like creepy stuff like that but um nothing too crazy
1: though that's so weird like like obviously i live in the valley so hayward is just like an hour 15 maybe jump from where i live And that's what we actually had to start adjusting our marketing strategies. Cause if we put a sign in the yard and the property was vacant, people would do all kinds of scams on it. Do you guys see the same thing as out there in the Bay?
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, down there, during the downturn of like during 2009, 10, 11 with all those REL properties, I mean, every house was getting broken into in like the East Bay. I mean, it was just crazy. So yeah, you had to be, Pretty creative not to get your houses broken into. And, and when I was flipping a lot in, in California, it was the same thing. It was We were always worried about people stealing stuff. And no matter where it was, even in affluent markets, it seemed to be like a huge problem.
1: So you do commercial lending. So you're looking at the deals these investors are bringing to you. It's kind of like the accountant. They get to see the back end of all the businesses and who's making the money, who's doing the smart things. As the lender, you get to see what the deals are like. What are some of the things, like maybe the top three, let's say, positive, top three, negative things that you're seeing frequently, you know, with real estate investors and their purchasing decisions?
0: So I think right now what we're seeing is we're seeing a lot of people in the, specifically the coastal markets like California, they're, uh, they're not selling their properties. Like Oakland, for example, has gone down a lot. And a lot of my flippers in Oakland, they're not able to exit out of the flip without taking a haircut. And some of them don't have the bandwidth to handle that. And some of them are coming to me and said, "Hey, can we do a can we do a, a cash out refi?" And I go, "Yeah, we can do. We can go to seventy percent of new appraised value after you own the property." The problem is, is well, I still I need one hundred fifty grand to come in with to do that. So there's a lot of upside down people right now, and so this reminds me a little bit of the downturn in two thousand nine ten, right? The flippers got kind of handled. We're not going to be that bad this time around, but it's definitely goes to show that um, people are way over leveraged.
1: Yeah, so you, you think there's gonna be a lot of people that are gonna get hurt in the next two to five years?
0: I think I think it's happening right now. I think the, the over leveraged flippers are getting hurt. People that have rental properties, not so much.
1: Now, in your lending practice, do you guys do like short term rental loans or for the midterms, do you guys do anything for the people that have kind of doing the house hacks and the increasing of the income of the properties?
0: Yeah, we, we, we do all of it. So we do fix and flip, we do uh, DSCR loans, we do projection-based DSCR loans. So that's for like Airbnb properties. So it, it's really a simple component. It's people like when I meet with a client, I go, what, do you, what are you buying the property for? What's your credit score? How much are you putting down? Uh, is, this, is this a short-term rental or gonna be a long-term rental? If it's a short-term rental, what is it gonna rent out for? Uh, what's your annual projected gross revenue? And also, if it were to be a long-term, what's the rent? And then we just figure out the DSCR calculation.
1: All right. So, Bo, I want you to give it to me straight here. You're doing loans for these Airbnb short-term rental people. I'm like crazy conservative when it comes to evaluating those types of properties. If I'm going to buy one, I'm going to evaluate it based on the long-term rents and the short-term rents. And I want it to make sense on the long-term rents. It doesn't have to make a lot of money, but it just can't be too much of a problem. A lot of my business partners, people that I work with, they're like, Matt, you're way too stingy when it comes to those types of things. You have to have faith that these things are gonna produce. And I'm like, look, I want multiple exit strategies. What do you think about that idea? Am I being too stingy or are they being too hopeful?
0: Well, I think first you gotta stress test the property, right? You're gonna go into like AirDNA, you're gonna do your analysis. AirDNA might say the occupancy level's at 85% for similar comparable properties so like what i would do is stress test it go well what if the occupancy was at 65 percent? Does it still cash flow based on adr and what if the adr drops down 20 adr is average daily rate for people listening um so i stress test it there but yes i also think like is it a vacation market or is it a just a normal market like scottsdale or, or phoenix arizona where it's not dependent just on tur- tourism just like the smoky mountains right people are only going to the smoky mountains for for Uh, Vacations. So I think you look at all the different components. What I can tell you is, is what's disturbing is that the loans I do sometimes like these cabins in the Smoky Mountains traded for $450,000 three years ago or four years ago. Now they're trading for a million two. To me, it just doesn't make sense. And so it's hyperinflated. People didn't realize rates were going to like DSCR rates went from four and a half to like 8%. So yeah, there's going to be some stress there. There's going to be stress in the flip market. But if you buy long-term where, you know, regardless if it's a short-term, it should always make sense as a, as a long-term. I agree with you, but you got to be careful and people weren't careful.
1: So being a lender, you're looking at the loan to values on certain loans. You may look at like, you know, debt to income, obviously most commercial lending is probably not as much, but. Like what loan to value do you think is, should be a max for people buying in today's market? Uh,
0: as far as investor loans, on uh, projection-based loans, you're capped at 70%. So DSCR, before we could go as high as 80. So they scrutinize those. Um, DSCR loans are typically, typically maxed out right now at 75. They used to be 80 and some are 85. So th- they are cutting back on DSCR loans. Um, So I think 75% is a good number, 25% cash in. But on our fix and flip loans, we'll do 90% of purchase and 100% of the repair costs. So those are very aggressive.
1: On the fix and flip, you're still going super aggressive?
0: Yeah, 90% of purchase, 100% of repair costs. Gross loan amount not to exceed 75% of the ARV, the finished
1: value. Which is pretty interesting, right? Because I mean, when you think about that, someone's going to get the money. So they're going to get... 100% of the repair cost 90% of but how are you projecting ARV in a, de- a declining market is it based on today's ARV
0: Yeah, I mean that it is. So, um, these large fix and flip lenders, like the the big the big national fix and flip lenders, the largest fix and flip lenders are lending about 500 million per month right now in the fix and flip bridge space. Those are the biggest ones. So, if we do see a, a larger downturn, some of those people are definitely gonna, they're gonna have to extend loans. It, it will get nasty uh, to a certain degree. I do think there'll be defaults within this space. I don't think it's gonna be significant like 2007, eight, nine, but I do think we're gonna see, see a bunch of haircuts.
1: Yeah, especially cause like, I mean, just noticing being an agent in a few different markets, like our properties are just sitting a lot longer now, if nothing else. On top of the fact that they're selling for quite a bit lower already, And so when you're getting a fix and flip loan, these are generally what, six to 24 month loans. And so if these people do the flip in three to six months, and if it ends up taking them a year, year and a half to sell, they're gonna run up against, run up against time, just as much as they're gonna run up against ARV problems.
0: Yeah, these loans are typically 12 months. Yeah. That's the standard term. We can do longer though, it just costs a little bit more.
1: Yeah, right on. So you are a man of many talents and trades. And so I know Tim is, loves marketing. Can you take us into like your marketing background, what you've done to grow your business on the SEO and marketing side?
0: Sure. So um, the, number one, I, uh, the number one marketing for me has been YouTube. Hands down YouTube. And what I do is answer specific questions on YouTube that people are asking. And I keyword optimize them for YouTube and I am found in search. So like I'll do, I answered a question about somebody who wanted to start a bed and breakfast and use SBA financing. Then somebody's Googling that and I'm popping up on Google, I'm popping up on YouTube, they book a call with me and I help them finance their property. So I'm answering questions and people are finding me. And that's a lot better marketing because I'm not I'm not cold calling anybody. People book appointments on my calendar. It's way easier to sell. I'm not even selling, I'm just educating. It's the best positioning.
2: Yeah, that's absolutely beautiful. So how are you identifying the questions? Do you have like a a group that you're asking them in? Or are you finding them on the internet? Or are you basing that off of a search on on, uh, YouTube? Or give me an idea how that works?
0: So so high level, I create my videos because I'm answering specific questions that I know are being asked. And then I also do a a podcast Q&A session. So people will go to my... They'll go to my investorfinancingpodcast.com forward slash ask and they'll ask a question and those become live videos. And then I title it how to buy a janitorial business using SBA financing because that's the question I answered. See, now I'm ranking in YouTube. YouTube's the second largest search engine in the world. Google's the first. Google owns YouTube. And so um, I'm using strategies like that and not doing paid search and it's working really well.
2: How much time did it take for you implementing this strategy before you got some traction with it?
0: It takes you about a hundred, episodes on, uh, on my, my, my podcast is a YouTube show. It's not really a podcast. I'm so it took about a hundred episodes to get start getting a lot of traction. And, but what I can tell you is though, it's, it's, it's now to the point where it's the majority of my business comes from it. Right? So. That just told me I needed to double down. So I have two full-time video editors, team members in the Philippines. I'm hiring a third because I know, I know what the cost per year is per team member. And I know what the ROI will most likely be, will be three to four X, the cost of that virtual team member.
2: Very cool. Um, so give me an idea. You, you just mentioned that your podcast's formats a little bit different. Could you explain what that looks like to me?
0: Yeah. So because I realized, so let me take you back. When I told you, or we did my announcement, you said I was on an HGTV show. So like I'll, I'll rewind to year 2013. I get a phone call from a production company and they said, Hey, we'd like for you to cast for this fix and flip show. And I always wanted to be famous. You know, I'm not going to lie. It's I wanted my 15 minutes of fame. And so I went and did the casting and uh, I, and um It was myself and my business partner. We did a walk through like a vague mock of a house. And then my contractor's supervisor was there and they asked if we would shoot it together. So we did the same thing. Anyways, we ended up getting casted for for the show, myself and and the contractor. But when I was at the casting, the funny thing was when I looked down on their clipboard, there was a a picture of me from YouTube. This is before I had a YouTube channel. And that's when it really clicked in. And then it took me a few years to actually be smart about it. And then, like three and a half, three years ago, I started doing YouTube because I'm like, you know what? I should do the things that actually work, right? And now you can just, you can just, if I showed you my calendar, you could see all the appointments I get from it. So that's when I doubled down. And I've tried SE I've tried a pay-per-click and everything. And I know people have success, but I've never had as much success as doing organic marketing.
1: So other than consistency, which is probably the primary factor, what what is the other factors that you equate to getting success on YouTube?
0: Sure. Uh, I think being genuine, um, and, and helping people, people, it's, it's amazing when I go to events now, like some people actually recognize me and they're like, man, I love your content. And, or like I get a message, uh, an email or whatever. So I'm just helping people, right? I'm giving them information that they don't have to go pay for. um, And they can can find it readily available. I mean, because most people now, they go to YouTube to find out information. So if you go into YouTube right now and you type in SBA 504 Loans for Construction or something like that, or SBA Financing for Self-Storage Facilities, my videos pop up and I give them good information where they can go, yeah, this guy's pretty smart. Now I want to ask him more questions because I want to get specific book a call it's very simple simple model
1: yeah and you basically I had a, just
0: i, I had it mm-hmm. yeah and, and uh, you know for buying homes on an investor carrot website carrot website and those things rank really well right and i learned the basics and i i always knew seo and i i used to get a bunch of leads from my carrot website and that's what really got me interested in seo so
1: yeah
2: I, yeah carrot's a great starter It's a great way to start at least (laughs) with the website that they, they definitely convert.
1: Yeah. So basically the TV show was what cued you on to YouTube because it was like, if I'm getting the attention of TV shows with so little out there, then if I go crazy with it, then it's going to just manifest them.
0: Exactly. Exactly. And then you start studying like how YouTube algorithms actually work. And it's not that, it's not that complicated. I mean, it is, but it isn't. Good, good title, good thumbnail, good description, good tags, and you're off to the races. And then long tail keywords, okay? Long tail keywords, everybody. That's the key. So it's not like SBA loans. It's SBA loans for self storage facilities, right? And so the other day, I just I'm trying a new experiment. Like I'm helping a gentleman finance a uh, Planet Fitness franchise and it's about like, uh, 3 million in costs. So there was a question that got asked about it. I answered that question and now I ranked my video number one in that. So if anybody, if anybody searches for Planet Fitness, uh, franchise fi- or financing for Planet Fitness franchise, my video is number one on Google that's non-paid.
1: That's awesome. I mean,
0: to me, that's like, to me, what I do is I plant seeds and all these seeds will, it may be two or three years down the road, but like somebody's gonna call me and somebody's gonna eat my, and I sell the most important thing in the world, money.
1: Totally. Well, And I mean, if, if these average deals are 3 million bucks, that's not a bad deal. If every now and then you're getting a call to finance a $3 million purchase. Yeah, that's pretty good. Not bad. So what led you what led you to go commercial as opposed to residential because it sounds like you started in the residential game and now you're commercial. Was it just that, that it was bigger and more money or, or what to?
0: I always enjoyed working with investors and business owners and not residential people. So when I started in residential, um, that was before the uh, C, uh, you know the CFDP or uh, consumer finance when they came in and Dodd-Frank and all that stuff came about. Um, And it was fun. It was kind of the wild, wild west back then. And then um, 2008-9 happened and the mortgage industry froze for a while. And I decided that I wanted to go get into doing hard money loans because I met a friend that worked at a fund and I started originating loans for that fund. Um, And I just like the fact that it's like no nonsense lending. It just makes sense, right? So hard money is about quick deals. And then over time, I got interested in like solving problems. And with commercial finance, we solve problems. SBA, we could be super creative with SBA financing. So it just depends. It just, I just think that residential is more cookie cutter and like you're more of an order taker. And I didn't wanna be an order taker. I wanted to to create my own world. And you know, like I can do what I want. Like, and then I teach myself. I taught myself how to finance SBA deals. I taught myself how to do equipment finance deals. So like when people wanna, teaching myself how to do revenue-based financing for businesses that need short, quick capital and don't want to go through SBA process. So I f- I see that there's a niche and a need, and then I solve that problem, or try to at least.
1: Yeah, so so the creativity part's really, really important in the sense that it's it's not really a, a play for more money as, as much as it is a play to be able to work within your personality set and enjoy what you're doing.
0: Exactly. I am a creative person, right? So I am money motivated, but really I get, I enjoy like being creative and like, I enjoy like figuring out how I can get people to book a call with me. That's more fun than making the money actually. It sounds weird, but it's true. I like setting up the like the Venus fly traps and then going like, hey, this is so cool. I can create this. Like uh, my family's very artistic. I'm not, I don't paint, but I fit, what I do for a living is I am, uh, I am an artist, you know, we're artists if you're in the marketing space. And I think that's what's cool. That's what I like to do. And I'm more of a people person. So I've like, I used to put on events and I have a couple hundred people. We just put an event on, we had 600 people in Fresno with a bunch of um, REI people. We I helped uh, Michael Zuber do an event in Fresno as well. We had 200 people the, what, uh, the day before. So I've always been more of like, I like the production of things. I like, the, I don't like the details, which is the bad thing about the loan business. You have to like, man, it's just like, it's such a grind, even getting the insurance with the mortgage clause on it. Like you go back and forth 10 times for the same thing. It's, it's annoying, but I enjoy the, the art of the deal. And then, then everything else is not that fun.
2: <laughs> All right, man, that makes a lot of sense. I'd love to hear a little bit more about the SBA loan programs that you have so like are those for any corporation like just kind of give me broad strokes first and maybe i'll dive deeper into it
0: sure sba can be used for business acquisition for business startup it could be with real estate or not real estate um so let's just say you wanted to start a planet fitness franchise we can fund up to 90 percent of the total project cost to fund that business okay let's say you were buying let's say you want to buy a uh a um uh an HVAC company—it's been around for ten years. The guy's retiring, and now you want to buy this this company off of him. You can get up to ninety percent financing. You can build in working capital, so it can be for business acquisition, business expansion. You can buy a franchise. It could be for, um, let's just say, you, you're an attorney and you want to you want to uh, you're sick of paying rent. You want to go build a building. Well, you can get SBA financing to build that building because you're owner occupying, owner user. We consider it. So anything that's deemed non, like you can't go buy multifamily with it, but you can go buy a self storage facility. Cause that's considered a
2: business. Gotcha. And then what, what are the personal requirements for or, yeah.
0: Uh, relatively good credit. Um, no felonies typically. Um, if it's, it's, there's a difference between a business startup, but, but relatively like you're going to need the to show that you have the equity injection the down payment if you don't have that you can bring up you can get a gift and then you that you have some reserves so it's really not that major uh we need three years of tax returns we need uh any uh three years of affiliates so if you have any any other businesses we need the tax returns there we need a business debt schedule personal financial statement which is form 413 so it's it's not that overwhelming it's really kind of easy and the one thing i would say about a 7a though if, if there's a collateral shortfall, like if you're buying a business and there's no real estate, there's gonna, there's gonna be probably a collateral shortfall. They will, they will look to collateralize any other ass, like assets you have. So you might have uh, a rental property with equity in it. They might put a second lien on that, which makes sense. They're gonna lend you 90% on something that's a high risk. So, but, but SBA, deal, SBA doesn't fund the deal by the way, banks do, SBA guarantees a portion of that loan.
1: Which is essentially what
0: SBAs probably funds, you know, go ahead.
1: Sorry. Yeah, which is what gives the banks the confidence to fund these maybe riskier business loans. What, what sort of rates and terms are, are you seeing? Like, if we wanted to go out and buy a business, what are people generally seeing out there?
0: Well, the rates right now are, are not that attractive, but, um, you know, you, you got to, if it makes sense, it makes sense. It's based on Wall Street Journal Prime. And what, plus margin, okay? Because so the margin is essentially what the banks make, right? The spread. So you take your um, index plus margin is your fully indexed rate. So right now they're in, in the nines, because Wall, uh, Wall Street Journal primes at seven and a half. So take the margin is typically two to two point seven five, so somewhere in the nines. Um, but where else can you walk into a deal with like five percent and the thing's spinning out five or eight hundred thousand dollars a year in cash flow? pretty good like it's 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 what i consider the ultimate leverage pretty much besides maybe being a syndicator and raising you know, and having camp or private money lenders on a flip
2: cool that kind of leads me to where i was going next so like for any real estate agents or investors listening like what what kind of benefits would they be able to capitalize with with an sba loan
0: Let's say you had a property management business, and you want you or and you want to go buy another property management business. You know, like you want to do a roll-up. You can finance the acquisition of that business. Let's say you have a real estate brokerage, and you want to buy a building and occupy at least fifty-one percent of the space. You can get an SBA five hundred four loan and 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 get high leverage financing. Um, let's say you're a real estate agent, and you're sick of living paycheck to paycheck or deal to deal because you're, you're you know the market's slow now and you went from closing 20 transactions down to closing four transactions and you're like man i'd love to have a you know a business well i can finance 80 to 90 percent of the this the startup of your franchise you know you're buying like a smoothie franchise or you're buying a cleaning business or you're buying a, a med spa franchise so there's just a ton of uses for and or self-storage. How many of you guys want to own self-storage? Or Airbnb people out there. What if you could buy a boutique motel and use SBA financing for a boutique motel and then use your Airbnb skills to make it crush, right? So we do a lot of that kind of stuff.
1: And with the SBA and the business loans, the, the, the rules are a little bit different. And correct me if I'm wrong on this assumption, but like with your standard residential you know, one to four families, typically the, the buyer has to come in with the down payment you know, those types of upfront capital requirements. But if in a commercial setting, if the seller wants to carry back the down payment, a lot of times you're able to get deals done where the buyer can come with zero financing and everybody's okay with that, is that that fair to say?
0: On a business acquisition, you need 10% equity injection. So if we're doing a million dollar acquisition, you need a hundred grand. Now the seller can carry back 5% and that could be on standby. But he has to leave it, he can't get payments on that 5%. It's like equity, it accrues interest because he's leaving 5% of equity. Now I have to come up with 5%. Man, I don't have that 50G, all right? So I asked my mom, my mom's got a bunch of money. Hey mom, will you gift me 50 grand so I can buy this business? Yeah, there you go, 100% financing.
1: So yeah, you can, but you gotta be creative. So you can be gifted the money?
0: Yes, yes. Or I go, oh man, I know Matt's crushing in his real estate business. I'm about to buy this business over here and I need money. Well, Matt can come in and own nineteen percent and not go on the loan and not be a guarantee of the loan, guarantor of the loan, and Matt can invest that fifty grand I need and own nineteen percent. So that's what we're starting to do now is we're starting to do put some of our equity in these deals. Because like people come to me for these loans. So I'm doing it on one deal right now, probably. And then I'm gonna, I saw we had the opportunity to do this more often because a lot of people find really good businesses, but they might not have the money to bring in. Well, what if we brought the money in and you own less than 19%, you don't have to go on the loan, you don't have to guarantee it. It's pretty good. Could be good at least.
1: Yeah, that's really interesting. So essentially you have, okay, so you got $50,000 laying aside, you, you get a business that someone you know and trust, let's say is wanting to buy and, you're giving them the 50 grand, you own say 20% of this company. So you, but it basically you're not on the hook if that business goes belly up or has any problems, but if it goes successful, I mean, you might lose your 50 grand, but, but that'd be the extent of it. But you have the chance of doubling it or 10 xing it depending on whatever the projections, the business.
0: Yeah. So going back to what you're saying about real estate, like let's just say you're doing a lot of flips and you're an agent investor. And you saw the opportunity, like you're paying out this, this demo crew a bunch of money because they're taking the demo and they have the trucks and stuff. What if you start your own demo crew? We can do we can finance the equipment. You see what I'm saying? Or if you had a friend that wanted to start that business because you're already paying that guy a hundred grand a year on all your flips. And then that, then you help, him help the guy you know, like, and trust start the business. So yeah, there's a lot of ways to be creative, I think. And like, as real estate professionals, I think real estate isn't really about selling houses. It's really about entrepreneurship. It's, it's like the, the, the basics of like, you, you get your wings by being in real estate, but then you diversify what you own and invest in, I think over time.
1: So now that you get access to look at all these businesses and you're obviously getting a chance, people come to you, they wanna buy a business, they don't have enough money. Like, What businesses excite you the most?
0: I've been going through a lot of different franchise concepts. I think that's interesting, but you're still kind of starting from scratch. You're following a blueprint, but you're starting from scratch. There's so many baby boomers retiring. And I think that that's the easiest path. Like if they're already making, you're getting three years of their tax returns. You're seeing everything. You're doing a cavity search. So I think those are the easiest ones to step in, especially if they already have like the management in place and really you're just stepping in as like the owner and manage like overseer of things. I think that's where, I mean, you do need the skill sets though, of like operations and running businesses. Like you can't just walk in and expect like it's going to run perfectly because it's probably not going to, but I, but I see people like, I. it's like game changing that you can leverage and get in these deals with maybe only 5% of your own money. And you then you like just replaced your W2 job. Cause you just, you're getting two, three, 400 grand a year of of uh income from that right and and you're building from there and it's it's also amazing to see all these blue collar jobs that we look down upon but now these guys own these plumbing businesses and they're making 15 million a year owning a plumbing business right or revenue gross revenue and so there's huge opportunities in like the the hvac the plumbing the roofing like you start realizing that you get older in life, like, man, those those businesses are really where it's at, right? Right? Like I mean, when we need to re roof a house or I just got my water heater replaced and it used to be eight hundred dollars. It was nineteen hundred dollars to replace my water heater. And that water heater was probably only six or seven hundred dollars. So and the guy did it in like an hour. So I mean there's some serious margin.
1: Crazy <laughs> margin. And it's like good luck getting it that much cheaper. You know, it's 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 just been really wild. Now, the tough part about those businesses is what I've heard from talking to people is just getting the labor, like, unless if you are the plumber, getting the labor necessary, like, are are you seeing people struggle with that or? uh...
0: Yeah, I mean, I think um, I own a house in the Midwest, I can't even get a contractor to go bid it. It's like just sitting there because I can't get a contractor to bid it. So yeah, I think um, being able to hire, retain and lead people is is the key that's going forward i mean i think there's a lot you i think people most people there's jobs everywhere i mean you might might not be a great job but you can get a job if you want to work in this country but getting the right people and the right team team members and paying them and and helping them grow i think is going to be the key going forward because there's a lot of people that are just going to start their own thing right they're going to have two or three side hustles instead of working a dub two job yeah um, so I, yeah, I, I would say that's probably the, the biggest piece is like having the right team is always, and that's why I don't necessarily want to do it. Cause I don't want to deal with people <laughs> like in my business. That's why I prefer having virtual team members because in other countries, they're way more loyal and they're way more disciplined to work. Um, and they enjoy what they do. They have a certain level. So, um, I don't know. I, I kind of feel bad because I'm saying like, we, we don't have the same. Ethic with, but I think in that food group, you can you can outsource and get better talent in other places for like video editing and all that stuff, um, than you can here in the states. And same thing with like labor, right? Like I think the labor thing is hard, and then they have all workers comp and everything, so contractor. It's very difficult. It's it's like you can't fix it right now. I
1: don't think. Yeah, yeah, I hear you on that. So once you start start funding all these loans which you're already doing and then you start getting a billion dollars in the bank and 100 lifetimes of cash flow like what does your life look like when you're completely and utterly financially free when money's of no consequence
0: yeah i think um to be honest with you i I did a really bad job of being a, a money saver when i was younger and i made a lot of dumb moves and and um you know i'm 45 now right so um I learn every day and what I'm learning is like, you have to like, if you're not a good saver, you gotta learn to be a good saver. You gotta learn to like hide your money. So you just, like I just went through, I was just talking about this on another podcast. I just went through and I had like $800 on reoccurring uh, drafts from my bank, you know, paying for like software that I wasn't using. It's like 10 grand a year right there. And I could save another thousand a month. So I probably save 20 grand a year, Right now, just cutting some fat. What if I go put that money into something and make it work? That could be a d- down payment on a duplex in Indiana, right? Um, and so, just doing s- smart stuff, and and then educating other people about it. Like, hey, like I, I was dumb for twenty five years of my life, and you know, I could have been ten x ahead financially. And then you know, keep buying doors, and um, but when when I don't need to work anymore. Um, I think I'll be able to be more creative and do what I really want to do. And and uh, I just hired a coach. I'm on session 21. We meet once a week. Um, and, co- you know, he's a high-level coach. It's not cheap. It's like $500 a session, you know, for an hour. So, you know, but I'm investing in myself, right? That's 10 grand right there. I think I spent on the 20 sessions, right? So what's the ROI? But I think as you get older and wiser, you realize that, like, you know, if you want to move the needle, you've got to invest in yourself. So I invest a shitload of money in myself. And uh, I think if you invest in yourself, you're always going to win. Um, but, but, you know, the, the top of the mountain for me is just um, doing more fun stuff and being on stages. And that might be on podcasts and stuff. I don't, I don't really like to, I like to share knowledge right and if i could get paid just to share knowledge that's way better than like going out and selling a house or closing a loan or i don't really love the loan business i love the creativity of like hey you know we can structure this deal this way and we could get it done so i'm always looking for the marketing angles i really enjoy the marketing so i think ultimately i guess answering this in a long question in a long way is i'll probably end up helping other people be creative and drive a bunch of revenue somehow to them. I have a lot of, I have a lot of skills. I'm not one dimensional, so it's really hard. Like I can like shoot, I can shoot three pointers. I can shoot, uh, I can do, you know, dunk the ball. I can do all that stuff, but what do I really enjoy the most? And, and, you know, I think it takes a lifetime to figure that part out, but uh, I just move the needle every day, go to the gym, move the needle every day and try to be better.
2: Absolutely tremendous response, Beau. Um What is your business working on over the next 12 to 18 months? What is your goals for 2023?
0: Uh, I'm creating digital real estate. So um, micro blogging sites. Um, so I own a domain called SBA loans.blog and I'm um, we talk about SBA lending on that. Uh, so I want that to start driving traffic. I have another blogging site that we're building that's... Uh, talking about STR lending and that's strlending.com. And we're going to tell people how to finance uh, short-term rentals and blog articles on that. So I'm building digital real estate. I think that's something that is extremely valuable and continue to do my podcast, Um, pick up a few doors. I think it's going to be an uh, advantageous time to buy some real estate. Um, I got married a couple of years ago and I stopped buying real estate because I got distracted and then I'm like, man, I got to go buy real estate. So I bought fourplex and a duplex this year. So I bought six doors this year. Um, and I uh, did it all sight unseen and learned a few lessons. But, you know, I'm used to buying properties sight unseen because I like to buy in the Midwest and things. So so buy some more doors. Um, but really, I'm doubling down on content, doubling down on content. Because we're all media agencies, as Gary V says and and uh you know you you see those guys out there that are crushing it like Alex Hormozi and like Ryan Paneda right like they're they're absolutely like Ryan Paneda I remember um I met with him at his office like 3 years ago when I moved to Vegas and he was like doing really well but I mean to watch that guy's grow in the 3 years has been it's insane the growth that guy, that guy has Alex Hormozi another guy that's only like in his 30s I love listening to Alex from And I think like, hey guys, we're all stupid if you're not plugging into smart people right now. It's like the content's there. Just take their thought processes and put it into your kind of own equation and then go out and crush it in whatever way you can. I mean, like this is the content generation. We, We have the knowledge at our fingertips. There's no excuses for any of us anymore. Stop feeling bad about yourself and the economy. Don't watch negative bullshit on the news and just go after it. I mean, I think, and that's why I love doing podcasts, you know, like in listening to Matt's, when I interviewed Matt and listening to his story, it's like, dude, everybody, it's out there. Normal guys can go out and crush it. And it doesn't take that long. If you crush it for like five years that that's enough income that you probably could retire off of and live a decent life. Right. So I'm just, I'm just trying not to get bogged down in, in, in media and social media. I'm using it for my advantage, but I'm not using it to like, listen as like, the depressed people out there. I feel bad for kids in this generation. We gotta do something about it for them because they're gonna be all drugged up and depressed.
2: Absolutely. I love that you're getting into content. You're, I mean, obviously you've been doing it already. What would be your advice to anybody out there not quite doing content yet? Maybe they're a little camera shy. They don't wanna get out there. What would you tell that person?
0: I would say like, if you wanna grow your business, get out there. If you're in real estate, especially go out there, go to meetup.com, paid 90 bucks, start a meetup, start getting really cool speakers. You don't have to be the freaking expert. Just bring in your friends or bring in people that are experts because everybody that's an expert loves to talk about themselves. So just let them come in and talk and you know, build your network. Over time, you'll have 2000 members in your meetup group. And you know, are you a wholesaler, are you a flipper, are you a real estate agent? How can you leverage those relationships? You're gonna get enough deals out of that. Then start a podcast and put out content, you know, and then that content can become reels, and you um, you uh, m- multipurpose that content and you create omnipresent, evergreen marketing material. And you just still, you plant seeds every day. And if you plant seeds every day in the next two to five years, those seeds will start growing into beautiful trees. that produce beautiful apples and you can enjoy those apples and make applesauce and apples, apple uh, juice and, and, and reap the rewards, right? Like it's really not that hard if you're willing to do the work. And, and um, I think you got to believe in yourself. That's why I hired a coach because believe it or not, I have like limiting beliefs. Even me, I have limiting beliefs. Right. And it, and it stemmed because I lost one, one wrestling match in eighth grade. I lost, I won every match except I got killed by this one dude. And I still, it still haunts me. Right, So we all have issues um, that we have to work out internally. But I think that's why you hire a coach. That's why you get around mentors. That's why you pay for some coaches. That's why you pay for some mentorship. But at the end of the day, don't be the 80% that doesn't take action. Be the 20% that does.
2: Absolutely. That That is a tremendous answer. Uh, That is a perfect way to wrap this one up, man. Bo Eckstein, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for giving us a glimpse into your life and into your business. And to those of you out there chasing freedom, freedom is acquired one action at a time. Go out there and start creating content, become omnipresent, start a meetup group. That's a tremendous, (laughs) I mean, that's like so easy to do too. Start a meetup group, start a podcast, start producing content because we are in the age of content Uh, Gen Z is getting older and they're going to continue watching YouTube. So Um, If you don't get in the game now, you're going to get in too late. So take action immediately. Freedom is acquired one action at a time. Tell somebody you know that can hold you accountable. And before you know it, you too will be living a life of freedom. So thanks for tuning in, and we will catch you on the next one.